Hi, Chris. How are you? Good evening, Rod. Yes, all is well in the shed as usual. Nice. Not too hot at the moment, I think. It is lovely. I've even got the window open just to jar, just a little bit of air. So it's lovely. It does make a difference, you know, for, for those not in the UK, we've been sweltering for the past month and most unseasonal sort of between 28 and 34 degree heat, sometimes hotter depending on how close to London you get. But it's 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 a relief to have had a bit of rain, I got to say. I bumped into a friend and I said I'd been on holiday and he had assumed by my colouring that I'd been out of the country. I was like, no, no, just in the UK. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely been closer to Spain. I've looked over out over the bay here in Swansea, sort of looking across the sweep over to, to Mumbles, which is a lovely part of the world if, you, if you've ever never been to Wales. And it literally looks like the Caribbean, the Caribbean or a nice Spanish place or something like that, you know, sort of looking out across that sweep and the beaches and everything. It's looked amazing. Yeah, it is stunning. And it feels weird being so hot. It does actually feel like you're in a foreign country. Yeah, it really does. Not that it makes the beaches any less polluted, but that's a story for another podcast, I think. Yeah, I didn't go to any polluted beaches. I did check before we went just to make sure because we did go paddleboarding and paddling in the sea and what have you. Yeah, less than ideal. Let's start off then, Chris. We've got a little bit of follow-up from last week. I think the first part yeah, is free. Hang on, it's episode 31 and it's the 22nd of August. Now we can do follow-up. Now we can do follow-up. So I think follow-ups for me this week. So whilst I was on holiday and I had, my wife had a laptop with us, so I thought, you know what, I'll, I'll do the IT husbandly thing and I'll just make sure it's up to date. And I remember you telling me that Teams on macOS now supports T, uh, now supports Apple Silicon. So I thought, I'll get that sorted for her because I know she uses Teams and all the Office products at her place of work. So I checked in, it still had version 1.5 on it, and it was coming up as Intel. I checked in Activity Monitor, and it said the processes are all Intel, and it was just Teams and the 10 processes it seems to spawn to, to run, which I, I found a bit odd. And then the, the only one outside of Teams that was Intel was a standard macOS thing, I think, which is there to, to run Rosetta, basically. So I then went to Microsoft's website, downloaded the latest version of Teams, installed it, and it just installed the same version over the top. I thought, this is odd. We, we know this is out. So I went back and checked the article. And actually, whilst Teams is out for Apple Silicon, Microsoft are rolling it out at a glacial pace. And I was like, why are they doing that? Why isn't it not just there and freely available? Especially if you've gone and downloaded the installer from their website. They should give you surely the latest version. So I just found that a bit odd how they're rolling it out. It's not like Teams is new or Apple Silicon is new. Both these technologies are multiple years old at this point. So I just found it a bit bizarre. Did you realize that they were doing this slow rollout? Well, it's been in beta forever. And I went looking for the beta and it's not easy to find the, the Apple Silicon version of the beta. So I'm not really surprised considering it took him about a year to actually bring it to the point where the, the Apple Silicon version was available. I don't understand why they do it so slowly though. Surely if they've got it available, you know, you've got all sorts of, let's face it, they've got good back ends with Microsoft Azure and the rest of it to get, you know, things circulated around the world very quickly. My Xbox is one of the fastest download services for games updates I've ever seen when it works. So why it should be so slow to distribute something around the world for something like this, which let's face it, is comparatively a small number of computers compared to what they normally serve. So no, it's quite disappointing really. Yeah, I thought it was odd. Like I said, I think maybe I get it. You're going to do slow update cycle in case there's any issues. Get that. But sure, if you go and download the installer, you should give the person the latest one because my wife wouldn't normally go and download it. And because she's a teacher, I thought I'd just get her Mac, you know, give it quick sprinkly and ready for her going back to school in September. So I was a bit cheesed off with that. But it then led me on the path of, 
Well, once I've upgraded her version of Teams, she's then done with Rosetta. How do I then remove Rosetta from her machine? And you kind of want Apple to give you something to drag to the trash or uninstall, but annoyingly, they don't make it that easy, which I've found a bit bizarre. And I have put a link in the show notes. And there's a few steps you've got to do to do it. But I was just a bit disappointed. The, there just wasn't a quick drag it to the bin, get rid of Rosetta, because I just wanted to clean up her machine for her. So it was nice, nice and tidy and, and as quick as it's ever going to be for her. But there you go. That, that was my two pieces of feedback. No, it's, it is quite disappointing, I'll grant you. I'm just, you've made me look into my activity monitor here. And I know my teams are still Intel. I do occasionally look at this stuff. So it's taken a while for it to updated, be updated for me as well. And I am actively looking for updates. I think that and visualizer service hyphen x86 brackets music is apparently an Intel process, which is related to iTunes. So Yeah, is that the, I, the Apple Music Visualizer? Yeah, why is that? Why on my M1 MacBook Pro do I need an Intel version of a visualizer that I never use running at all is beyond me? Yeah, it is a bit rubbish. Like I say, I just wanted her machine to be non-Rosetta as quick as it's going to be. She's only got 8 gig of RAM on it. And I thought, let's just make this M1 flight because it's been a great machine. She loves it. And she's had no pain. She wouldn't even know that she's gone from Intel to Apple Silicon, if that makes sense. Yeah, I got, I got to say, Rosetta has been an amazing piece of technology. For the most part, you don't really realize that it's there running away. It's only those of us that care about you know having all that Apple processes that probably even go looking for it. It did... I saw this in the show notes and it led me down to a bit of a thought experiment about games because, you know, we like to talk about games and things like that. Do you think there's a place for keeping Rosetta around on gaming computers if they can find a way to make it run with Proton, which is the, the, the Linux software layer that Steam has built to make games, Windows games, work on Linux? Surely there's some sort of clever bit of jiggery-pokery could be done here where we could get more Intel games, more Windows PC games running on Apple Silicon through Rosetta. You've got to think that's technically possible yeah and why, why wouldn't you if you've already done all the hard work and it does feel to be fair to apple like they've over-engineered rosetta too because it's had no faults and it performs really well so why wouldn't you keep it around and surely as m max get quicker you're gonna only have better performance on rosetta so i, I would agree why, why wouldn't you keep it around yeah, and I'm sure I've read something about Apple. It, it's not open source, but it's open enough that you can do some sort of Linuxy things with it as well. So if you're running on an Apple Mac, a version of Linux, as we've talked about last week, Avahi, Azahi Linux ha, has a Linux running on, on Apple Silicon, they will let you use Rosetta on it. So it seems to me that would be an easy win for them to do something clever in the game space, which would immediately make a lot more games accessible on Mac. Even if the graphics aren't quite there yet for the highest of high-end stuff, you could still get a significant amount of things running. My Steam Deck has shown me you don't need the absolute be-all, end-all in processors and graphics and GPUs to get acceptable performance running on games. So it just seems to me it could be a bit of a win. Two things on that. One, would it look as good if it was scaled at a resolution of... 16 inches on your laptop for example and two are you allowed to run steam whatever your your steam deck's running like steam os are you able to virtualize it that'd be interesting whether that's allowed i don't know i mean it's the, the, there's a whole lot of unknowns and i'm not developer enough to understand all the various you know j bits and pieces and the shims that have to be required in order to do this it just it occurred to me that surely it's technically possible to do something like this so if you can get a system that is running things like DirectX 8, DirectX 8, DirectX 9, and 10 through this shim layer called Proton, where it fools the, the, the executable into thinking it's a Windows machine. 
surely you could fire that through Rosetta 2 and then into into Proton and then you know get something up and running. Anyway, I just wonder it'd be interesting. I, I must go and do a bit of research to see if something is actually possible. I completely agree. I think it would be cool and it would certainly solve their gaming problem that Apple seem to be trying to address a little bit at the moment. And again, then you point at your iPad, which is also running Apple Silicon, and you think, wouldn't that be interesting? You know, in a, in a world where Apple allowed a few more things like the Steam Store on, on devices and things, that you could do that, have a third-party installer for games that you could install Proton on so that you could connect your PlayStation or Xbox controller to, and then be running some of the latest games on what is an amazing device. I'd be happy just with Command & Conquer Remaster, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should be able to poke and click, or, uh, click on that. Anyway, it's an interesting thought. And I, I did see this link to removing Rosetta 2, and I was thinking, yeah, it would be nice if we got to the point where it wasn't required that we needed to install any of the Intel binaries for things. Uh, it's funny, my kids' laptops, both of them, when they installed Chrome, because they install Chrome, on their M1 MacBook, their MacBook Airs, both picked the Intel version, but thinking about it, before I could go, whoa, 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 and that's what they've done. And they don't care. They, you know, they just go on and use that. And I suspect that's what most users are doing. Do well, hang on, just back up half a step. So do you actually have to pick the version? Does Chrome not just work it out for you when you uh, install it? When they installed it, you had to pick the version. And in fact, I should have a look, really, and see if it's still running. Yeah, it, it, isn't it odd that they expect you to understand the architecture your computer's running on? Yeah, most most people would not know. Yeah. have You You, you probably wouldn't have looked because you're more of the iPad user, but have you seen the website, Is It Apple Silicon Ready? I have not seen it. So there's a website, which I'll have to try and remember to put in the show notes, that will tell you if the program you want to run is actually native or not. Okay. I think I may have heard about it on another podcast a while ago. Yeah. It's surprising the number of things that still aren't Apple Silicon ready. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. But for my wife, she could be 100% Apple Silicon and enjoying her sweet M1 this without any Intel stuff running, but sadly not yet. Not quite yet. That's a shame. Okay, I think that'll do us for uh, for follow-up. Not much more going on this week, but we have got quite a few news and rumours. Yeah, should we crack on? So first one, I think I might pop this on here. We were talking a bit about ads last week, and then there was a rumour that iPhone may get ads in Apple Maps, podcast books, and so on and so forth. So I'm not surprised, but I'm disappointed. <laughs> I think that's probably like how I talk to my children when they've been naughty. I'm not surprised, but I'm very disappointed. I just worry that Apple's chasing the ad revenue instead of the user experience, which they've held themselves above others and held the high ground for so long that they seem to be forgetting that a little bit. Yeah, I think my take on this is I don't mind seeing ads in Google Maps or Waze because I haven't paid anything for that product. You know, I, I'm I'm making use of it. The fact that they fling up an advert for an Aldi in the corner or a McDonald's over there or a Suzuki dealership you know, when I'm parked at a traffic light, I don't mind that so much. But I've paid for my iPhone quite a lot of money for it. I've paid for all these devices and things. So it feels it feels a bit off then to have these pushed on me, you know. And it might be for a product I want or not. I, you know, I, I'm not against advertising per se, but I am against it when I feel I've already paid for it. And, and Books, I mean, we might talk about this later. Books isn't an app I've opened in a very, very, very long time. I don't care if there's advertising there, but again... If I'm in the books app, the chances are it's to read a book that I've bought off Apple, not from Amazon or anything else like that. So it feels a bit stinky to go and stick an advert in there, you know, just to chase a few extra dollars out of me. I completely agree. And tangentially related, Microsoft apparently do this in Outlook. If you've got the free version of Outlook on mobile, you get adverts inside it. Now, I don't see that because my version of Outlook is linked to my work account. But again, I... I get enough ads via email. I don't need then the email client to be presenting me with ads. So I'm a bit disappointed in that the whole way this is going, just more adverts 
and I thought we were starting maybe we've had our glory days where we where we've had ads without ads in because obviously there's a lot of pushback lately on the likes of Instagram and Facebook and the way they do their monetization why are we now having to have this in all these free apps I don't I don't really get it yeah and like I say if I hadn't paid for it I'd understand to a certain extent I'd understand that you know you could you could have some advertising in maps I'd understand if I was Amazon and again it is a double standard isn't it Amazon aren't allowed to you aren't allowed to buy books directly through the Kindle app but Apple are okay to sell, sell ads in their version of the Kindle app that feels a bit off I think it's changed a little bit now because I think it, I was in the Audible app and I think you could buy stuff within the Audible app. So I think they are slowly making changes. Yeah, I guess Apple made that deal with Amazon, didn't they? To get Apple TV Plus on, on Fire devices and things changed a little bit then. So it's possible within the Audible app. It, you I, can I've... now buy it. So I think they Apple have silently reneged a little bit. So it, I agree, though, it's still not right. I don't want to see adverts. Apple should hold themselves in higher esteem and not degrade the user experience. They make enough money, sell good hardware, make good OSs. Stop trying to be like Google. Nobody respects them for it. No, nobody respects them for it. And, and Google wears its heart on its sleeve. It's an advertising company. It's been said a million times, no matter how true it is, you're the product. No, I buy yeah. an I buy an Apple product, so I don't get a lot of this stuff. I run inside of my house things like my pie hole to stop me seeing a lot of these adver- adverts and things. So having them forcibly injected by the OS vendor is just, it's slimy, is what it is. Do you think that Apple would ever do an Amazon and do, would you like to buy this device with or without ads? I think, depending on how much money they make from revenue, they'd always force the ads on you, wouldn't they? At this point. I don't know, but but they could charge you take 50 quid off your iphone i, I mean some, some people would go for that yeah i'm sure some people would go for it and i have bought a previous kindle with the ads on it saved 20 quid or something like that you know and i i, I didn't really care i accepted it at the outset and maybe i would have a different i'd have a different attitude if, if apple were selling me a device and that sort of thing I, I i gotta say one of the things that put me off windows for a long time was seeing this sort of encroachment of advertising as well as it just not having any what was it steve Jobs said you don't have taste you know so I think if Apple start really sort of doubling down on this and pushing ads into more and more parts of the operating system and the platform and, not, and you think of the amount of devices they could serve ads to me on as I look at my wrist across my phone and on my computer, I really don't like that. I really, really don't like that. No, I'm not keen. Maybe this could be a differentiator between the iPhone and the iPhone Pro. <laughs> one gets ads and one doesn't. Could be. I Because they're going to want to push you up the next band. Yeah, I don't like it. I got to say, I think if it started to get you know, worse and worse and worse. I genuinely be considering then moving off to Linux or moving to something else. Genuinely, I don't disagree. I, I would hate to. I'd be looking for the button to get me out of ads. Yeah, but the problem is if the button then has a five hundred pound price tag attached to it, to stop seeing ads anymore. Then the the, the value proposition of the hard, hardware goes down because they can always push and have pushed. You know, push notifications for hey, get your Apple Plus upgrade, or hey, did you know this was now available? Or if you got Apple Music, then you'd have this. And I think even if you pe- spent the five hundred quid to get rid of it, or whatever that money would be, you'd probably still see some ads. Yeah, you're probably right. Anyway, it's disappointing. Maybe we'll find out more at the September event that's rumored to be coming. Yeah, it's apparently not far away, and we'll we'll probably do proper rumours for it next week when there's a few more, and maybe the date's been firmed up a little bit. Because they're saying it's going to be early September, and it's normally a little bit later. So I think we maybe wait a week and see what happens with that. Yeah, well, we, we've got a rumour item in, haven't we? It's rumoured for the 7th, so let's see how that goes. And they're expecting you know, the iPhone 14 to be released then, and 
separate event in October for iPads and Macs. So let's see what comes. Yeah, let's see what comes. That's fair enough. Okay, fair enough. Next in the show notes, we've got the Beta 6 rollout has progressed. Yep, and we've had no Beta 7 today. So Beta 6 is now out for everybody, or Public Beta 3, I think we're on now. I think on the iPhone, really solid. Apple Watch, solid. TVOS, solid. macOS, I think it's okay. I've barely used mine. Are you rolling macOS at all? I can't remember where you're at now. No, because it was interfering with this podcast and I was having it rely on an Intel Mac that the fan got so loud on I couldn't cope with it anymore. So I have resisted installing macOS Ventura on this computer. I think you're wise. And then I'm obviously running on my iPad. And I must confess, I think while Stage Manager has not changed very much, it has got more robust, definitely operating much better in day-to-day use. Still got the annoying bug when you click a link, it always pings you back to the iPad screen no matter where Safari is. But I've been using it all day at work today. Webcam's been on most of the day. It's working really well. I think they're doing a great job with it. But and I know there's been a lot of kick up this week about Stage Manager. I love Stage Manager on the iPad. I think it's brilliant. I just want them to keep engineering it, keep making it robust. It is so much more productive for me to use it. I can't go back. Yeah, not having experienced it on the iPad, I don't really feel I'm qualified to talk about it other than my brief experience we're using it on the Mac. I think what you're referring to is Federico Vitici's thread on Twitter, who is the power user's power user when it comes to iPads saying that he's actually switched Stage Manager off on his iPads because he found it so broken. Yeah, he has. I I love it, though, because it's actually made me now use one iPad. So like we call in this podcast, I've got Zoom on my iPad screen with yourself on it. And then on my screen, I've got my document and my Safari links for the show notes. And I really like it. And I think it's making much more use out of my iPad. It is a little buggy. But the bugs I can work around because you know where they are. And if it does crash, it quickly resumes itself. So I'm quite comfortable with it. I just want to see them keep iterating on it. I think they're, they're on the right thread in my view. I just want to see it keep going. It is a power user mode though. My, say my mum, for example, has an iPad. She would get confused with Stage Manager. But so I love it. I mean, it does. you, you put it in a very positive light. And you're, you're obviously an iPad power user yourself. If, to read Vitici's tweet, from, which is from the 18th of August. I finally went ahead and disabled Stage Manager on my iPad Pro for now. As much as I love using three to four apps at once, the implementation just isn't there yet. Crashes every few minutes, hard to use multi-window for the same app, UI glitches everywhere. I hope Apple delays this. I mean, that's pretty damning. It is bad, and hopefully Apple are listening. But I think it's, I like how it works. I'm not getting it crashing all the time. I'm probably using very different apps to him. I use all the Microsoft suite most of the time and a few Apple apps. That's my go-to every day. And Microsoft Office Suite's working really well. Outlook's working fine with it. Obviously, I use Safari, using Teams all the time. And Teams isn't known for being a great app, you know, on multiple platforms. But I, I, I don't have that many problems with it. I enjoy it. I think it's a really good experience. I just want to see them do more with it. Fair enough. I guess, you know, they've delayed it now. Maybe they can fix a lot of this stuff. And you have to think, the builds that Apple are running internally are different to the ones they're releasing to us as developers and the public and the public betas. So you would hope... And it's not just stage manager that's suffering from this. I know that there's an awful lot of kickback about the settings app in Ventura, for example, and how badly broken it is. So there's a few key areas in the upcoming operating system releases that Apple need to do either a lot of work on or push back for a point release or potentially abandon altogether, which has happened before. Was it What was it, Discovery D? Was that the, the system demon? They, that- did, they did launch Discovery D, which was their DNS lookup sort of system for Bonjour. But they did launch it, and then they took it out in a point release. So they actually did let it go in the wild. 
And that's when years ago, you'd find them on your network and in brackets, it would say one or two or three after the name of it because it found it like four times and had parentheses four in it. Yeah, that was, it was a bad time that I do remember. And I'm glad they went back to the old standby. I guess we'll see with these things. I mean, to me, the settings app does look entirely broken. There's bits and pieces you can't get to. And again, I haven't touched the beta you know, since whatever it was, beta 3, I think is when I came off the, the Mac OS beta. And I, I don't miss it. I'm quite glad to go back to the old settings app. But when I see the various screenshots, and I think we posted them in last last week's show notes, it's really broken in places. There's dialogues you can't get to. There's things you can't type in. You can't dismiss things. People are having a you know force quit the settings app to get it up and running again. There's a huge amount of problem. And stage manager is a different problem to that. It's a developmental issue that they're working with. But we're pretty late in the beta process. And I've seen another report, a news story this week, that actually iOS development is pretty much locked down. And it's just bug reports that they're doing now. There's It's feature complete. So, you know, I, I do worry about Mac OS and iPad OS, knowing that it's, you know, where are we now? 22nd of August and, you know, we're feature complete. It does feel like they've finished the iPhone a few weeks too early. Like they've got iPhone OS, it's done. Feels like it's solid, it's good to go. Maybe they'll free up these developers to go off and work on iPadOS and they'll have Center Sage fixed well in time. But that's harder, isn't it? Bringing other developers in on a project, get them up to speed, sometimes throwing more bodies at it can actually be a detractor. So it's going to be interesting to see where they go with it. I just want them to keep doing what they're doing. I think they keep plugging away at it. It will be good. I still maintain my previous comment of they should have done it in stages. Do the more space in, then they should have done stage manager just on the iPad and then do it on the external screen. They should have chipped away. I think that would have been a better way of rolling it out. I don't disagree. And just for the show notes purposes, that uh, what Chris is referring to there with chucking more developers at something is actually a, an old observation by an IBM system engineer, which was is in a book called The Mythical Man Month, which I'm sure we learned somewhere in our computer science degree back in the day, Chris. So it's still a thing. You can get it. The link's in the show notes. But yeah, actually throwing developers at things was found to slow process, development process down rather than speed it up. So it's a fair point. Yeah, no, and I think it, is, I think it still holds water today. I agree. I see it all the time. Good. Okay. Next story, Pixelmator Photo goes subscription. Yeah. So I bought Pixelmator Photo probably more or less as soon as it came out. Love it. Use it all the time. And then they've just announced a going subscription because they were saying that, you know, every time they do a release, they get an influx of money. That's they got to keep them going to the next release and then they get an influx of money or they do some promo or a big feature update and it's not sustainable. So they're moving to subscription. Apparently, because I've already bought it, I'm going to keep all, all the features forever kind of thing. I'm not against them going to subscription. I like the app. I've used all the Pixelmator apps on the Mac and on, on my iPad. I think they do great engineering. I've never subscribed to Photoshop. I've always just used the Pixelmator ones. So I just wonder what you... Th- thought about this another big app moving to subscription well subscription seems to be the way to go i'm a little confused see i've got pixelmator and i've got pixelmator pro and i didn't actually even know that there was a pixelmator photo what's the difference between pixelmator photo and pixelmator pro it's a good question and when they released pixelmator photo on the ipad they got a lot of heat because the icon was very similar to pixelmator pro and people said hang on this isn't pixelmator pro this is pixelmator photo so my understanding is pixelmator photos is just really for editing photos whereas pro i think you can make graphics in it and do there's more more tools if memory serves i haven't used a mac in a while so pixelmator pro is like photoshop but 
you can do more. So it's like Photoshop. You can bring in GIFs and images and you can design things and, you know, it's, yep. it, it's that kind of thing. And Pixelmator Photo is like Lightroom. It's just for managing photos particularly. You can do color correction, all that kind of stuff. So I wouldn't say it's for managing like a library of photos. It's for editing a photo, but it links back to your photos, like your iCloud photo library. So you can make an edit and it will then modify the original in your iCloud photo library, but it's not got the whole library built inside it, if that makes sense. So it doesn't have those library management tools, but it does have good editing tools and it's got an amazing rub out tool, you know, so if I was a photo with you in it and I wanted to rub you out of it, it's easy to do that kind of thing. And it's, it's, it's really good. It's a great app. I love it. Okay. Okay. I, I mean, I, I still don't really get it. I think, you know, I, I understand there's a subtle difference between them, but I'm not, I think it's because I'm not a Photos Power user. I used to use it. I used Adobe Lightroom a little bit. I used to use Apple's version of the, which of the name of which is escaping Darkroom. Aperture. Aperture. That was the thing. I I bought Aperture at my own money for a while and used that to manage my photos. When I had a digital a DSLR and I kept lots of photos. These days they all go on my phone. I don't really think about them and and, and that's it. So I, I'm sure that there is a market for this kind of photo management and editing tool. I quite like Pixelmator Pro. I use it to make graphics occasionally and you know, delete people from backgrounds. The machine learning tools and things in it are very good. I paid for that outright. I think if it went subscription only, I wouldn't get the subscription in that case. I don't use it often enough to justify a subscription. And I think that's probably what what lies in a subscription for many apps. In many cases, it's worth it if you use the hell out of it or you've got a particular use case for it, in which case you'll do the subscription. So you may love Pixelmator Photo. It may do the three or four things you want to do really well with it, in which case you'll pay the subscription. If the features they bring in as part of the subscription are over and above the things you've already paid for. And I think that's sort of the fine line in a subscription. My worry about subscription, and this isn't new, it's everybody feels the same, is it's death by a thousand cuts because everything's gradually moving to subscription. And frankly, with the cost of living going up and with all the other bits and pieces as well and so many streaming services, we all feel we're getting dragged a little bit thin with the subscription for these things. So we're all going to have to be a bit more careful. In my case... I'll continue to use Pixelmator Pro as long as that doesn't go subscription and that's not what's being discussed here. But actually there's other apps like Affinity Designer and Affinity Photo that I can do most of the things that I want to do there if I had to. And again, if the worst, and I'm happy to give software developers money. I think they, they deserve it. They work very hard for it, the better apps. But at the same time, there are a million open source apps that can do with a little bit of effort just as well. Inkscape on, on, the, on the open source side, projects like the GIMP, all enable you to do it, but not in a way that you become familiar with as a Windows user or an Apple user. So I don't blame them for going subscription only. I wish them every success, but I stopped using apps like Text Expander when they went subscription only. And there's a, there's a whole host of apps that I could say I stopped using that. I think, for example, if BB Edit ever went subscription only, I'd stop using BB Edit and I'd, find, I'd use Visual Studio or something like that. So it's, it's a fine line, this stuff. I hope they've got enough people to continue doing it, but I think it it very much annoys people like yourself who buy it once and will happily pay the upgrade upgrade fee when it comes along. But, but I'll let you you can speak to that to yourself, I guess, Chris. That's just a guess. No, I'm in the same place. I'm happy to buy software. But I do buy software quite frequently. I just don't want a monthly bill for it. I don't mind an annual bill if it's not too much money. So, and I think that's where they got to get the balance right. So, for my use of Pixelmator Photo, I use it occasionally. I edit a couple of photos in it from time to time. I don't use it every week or probably even every month. So I'm an occasional user. So I'm happy to pay 20 quid every two years, say. Likewise, I think I recently purchased Agenda, which I do use a little bit for work. 
and they do a model where you get all the features for a year and if you cancel your subscription you keep those features but you don't get any new features and you can obviously resubscribe and i quite like that way of doing it i do subscribe like to overcast that's about less than 10 pounds a year i don't really use the features that it unlocks but i'm happy to support the developer because i use the app all the time and i've actually mailed him and asked for some features on carplay and he did them and because i had one where i didn't use playlists and every time you load it up on carplay you would show you the playlist tab by default and he actually changed it so that it would load up and if you had no playlist it wouldn't even show you the playlist tab at all and it'd go to the podcast tab which is exactly what i want and for me that that was worth the subscription for a year or two alone because it just made it just removed one minor paper cut no, and you know, Overcast is a great app. Marco is obviously very popular in the podcasting community. He spends an awful lot of money on servers. I've chucked him money in the past b- before. You know, I've, I paid for Overcast when it was like a donationware thing. I've given money when it would. He moved to. He didn't move to a monthly thing, but it was it sort of an annual cost. And then there was a nation cost. And he's tried a number of subscription models, or at least money money ways over the over the years to get money off. And I think we're all quite happy to do that. And we listen to the podcast. And you know, the ATP is is one of the sort of foremost uh, podcasts in the Apple world, particularly. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm happy to give money for these kinds of developments. But I, I'm, the subscription model, it begins to worry me the more and more of it we see, really. Because I think, you know, software piracy has become less of an issue slightly since the App Store. Slightly we've got used to using iPad apps and all the rest of it. But it's still a factor. And, you know, th- there are great apps that should be supported with money. And not all of them fit the subscription model. And that's more of the worry, really, is that there's, there's very much a place for the annual upgrade or the 18-month upgrade or whatever it is. Yeah, and sometimes I'd rather, and I've seen a few people do this, is they just do a lifetime fee. And for me, I think lifetime is probably a bit too far for them in that that's a long time. If they keep it going for, say, 10 years or more for a piece of software, I think they should do something where, I don't know, maybe it's rather than pay annually, you can pay for five years in one go or some, something like that, just to get hopefully get the balance right between cost and, and longevity. But it, it, it's tricky, isn't it? Because software does come and go and you move in and out of it. Very much. Um, I don't, it, it, sorry, go on. No, I was going to say the one thing I've paid a lifetime fee for, and that's Plex Pass. So my server that I run all my, my my own media from, I bought a Plex Pass for that back in 2000, and I want to say eight or nine or something like that. It was a very long time ago. And I still get upgrades, and I can run the bleeding edge thing to this day. You know, I imp- install my Plex Pass, the software recognizes it, it gets upgraded to the beta version. It, it's one of the best, I think it was 99 quids I've ever spent, frankly, because it's it's 50 quid a year or something like that if you don't have it. Yeah, and, and you assume get the return on it, don't you? And I, I, I think that's the thing. So anyway, happy to pay for software. More things are going subscription. Yeah. And like, like you said, I think if you use it, you, you won't mind paying for it because you want to see it iterate and get better. Yeah, I mean, I paid the Adobe Creative Cloud uh, cost for my daughter while she was doing her A-level in school. She got an A-star, she's going to university, you know. So in my case, that was worth it, I think, for her to to go off and start a career off. So I don't mind. It it was an investment. Very much an investment. Anyway, coming under the security lens this week has been Apple and Zoom to a certain extent. So I don't know if you were tracking this story, but I got a notification from Zoom. I actually saw it on Twitter beforehand about there being a kernel issue with a particular version of Zoom on the Mac, where just visiting a website and having Zoom installed would give root-level access to your Mac. Fairly significant security error. Zoom patched it, and then Apple have patched it as well, obviously the exploit that was there. So there's some links in the show notes to this, but this isn't a great look, is it? That Even our, even my university has sent a non-tech-specific email around to all users in our faculty today going, 
please update your Mac Safari, please update your Zoom now. And that's very, that's very unusual. That is very unusual. So Zoom, I was unaware, I don't use it other than to talk to you tonight. And that's just on my iPad. And then seeing, seeing that sort of export is bad, isn't it? How does... How does that get into a piece of code? It's, it's amazing, isn't it? Well, it is amazing in this day and age that, you know, with bug bounties and all the various bits and pieces that software development companies have in place, but it's obviously a system level problem that Apple have had kicking around for a while now that was able to be exploited by the Zoom client. So yes, Zoom are to blame for exposing it, but it's exploiting something that's within the kernel. And you keep seeing these stories from Apple about them, you know, leaving things unpatched and hoping that, you know, a developer doesn't find it or there isn't a zero day exploit or, you know, it's just well not enough or there's not enough attack surface. So they've got better with security and all the sandboxing that you see within the Mac and the iPad and all the rest of it helps with the amount of access you get. But then they still come along and you get these glaring things, which all operating systems have. Let, you know, we're not, be you a Linux, Windows or Mac user, then the chances are there's going to be a zero day exploit. It's how you respond to them. And it just feels a bit like they were sort of stumbling to get that out. It didn't affect me on, uh, on God, I've even forgot, Monterey. There was no there was no upgrade for the Monterey for the version of Safari I was running. But for Big Sur and Catalina users, it was definitely a thing. So at least they're still patching the old version of the operating system. But they should be a bit more preemptive about this sort of thing. Yeah, agreed. And obviously, they've got the update out for the iPhone and the iPad, which with my corporate out, and I'm thinking, do we need to push this out to everybody urgently? And actually what is the chance of us getting hit by it? it's a real thing to weigh up isn't it like what's the probability but it's a tricky one it is a tricky one and as with all these things i'd say patch now patch immediately even if it takes the devices out of services you know particularly for a, a profit making company or anything where there's user data stored on it or customer data st stored on it you want to get it patched as quickly as possible because it doesn't take very much for a breach to occur from something like this and then your company's name is mud so i think you just need to get on and patch it yeah, I don't disagree. And that is our usual stance at my place of employment is patch now. It's better for us to absorb a small bit of pain internally than to have any issues. Absolutely. You do the right thing. And with the JavaScript exploit that happened to services like Jira, Asana, a lot of the open stuff, open source stuff that's been running around, you know, that happened around Christmas time. That was a major patch they needed to cut. And that was across the IT sector. It wasn't just for Mac or Windows. It was all the servers that were affected by it. One small bit of open source course code that's now running on you know, millions, literally millions of systems across the world needed to be patched urgently and had to be. And this, this isn't that sort of level. There's not so many Macs and things in the enterprise. But even home users should be paying attention to this kind of stuff and getting updated as quickly as they can. But there are billion iOS devices. Hundreds of millions and billions, yeah, absolutely. Anyway, it's 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 an issue. It seems to be patched now, but as always, keep an eye on your software update and, forget, and, and install things as they come along and restart the computer every so often. Don't put it off because you're doing that bit of work. Yeah. Good. Moving on, our last story is a little thing from The Verge that I spotted today about Facebook's messenger program moving to end-to-end -end encryption, which my immediate reaction to this is, oh, how are they not end-to-end -end encrypted already when we're used to being... I was kind of thinking the same. Yeah, we've talked about this repeatedly that, you know, end-to-end -end encryption is very important for lots of reasons in, you know, in, in Telegram and in Signal. So you've got whistleblowers like Snowden, you've got people in war zones in Ukraine rely on Telegram. You've got whistleblowers inside of companies and they rely on that end-to-end -end encryption so that, you know, they're not being tracked for a variety of reasons. And this is Pretty Patel, the home section in the UK, coming out and saying, if Facebook Messenger moves to end-to-end -end encryption, it's a grotesque betrayal of women. What? Yeah, I know. 
<laughs> it's 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 frankly amazing to me that you'll get and this is run in the Telegraph in the UK which is a particular bit leaning newspaper within the UK. It's interesting. The Verge have described it as a Tory mouthpiece, which is interesting for an American website to refer to them in that way. Yeah, I, I really don't know what to think about this this kind of story. It's obviously, she's the Home Secretary. She's got a eye on sort of tracking immigrants entering the country, criminal justice, tracking organized crime and all the rest of it. Do you think a lot of these organizations use Facebook Messenger to do that? Well, there's that, but... Surely everybody, everything else is pretty much end-to-end encrypted. So why is she just picking on one that's catching up with the other messaging platforms? It should be end-to-end encrypted. It's more secure. And Facebook needs to deploy tools such as Apple's doing with the CSAM stuff, which I believe I read somewhere that the government has praised for being really good. So surely they should be pushing Facebook to be encrypted, tick, but also make sure you've got some precautions in place to protect children. It's just so selective and button pushing to me, though. You know, Patel writes in her op-ed, it is vital the law enforcement have access to the information they need to identify the children in these images and safeguard them from vile predators. No argument. I think the technology to do that needs to be appropriate and measured and, and rolled out in such an, uh, in an appropriate way. And I, th- this is jumping on a bandwagon so that they can keep track of, not necessarily this, although this may be part of it, but it's, it is ultimately immigrants and organized crime and whatever else the, uh, a government agency fancies keeping an eye on. You know, who's to say this technology couldn't be used to look at whistleblowers inside a Whitehall uh, or the civil service or something like that. And that kind of stuff is, is more worrying when a government gets involved with it to me. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Shall we move on? Let's move on. It's quite a heavy subject, but I just thought it was, it's interesting when these kinds of things make it up that, that, you know, politicians start talking about them. Good. Okay. That'll do us for news and rumors and we can move on to media. You watched much stuff this week. I have not. I've been on holiday. I've largely been media free, TV free, device free to a degree. So I've not, not done much of anything. I've not played any games and I've not really watched any media. And there were just two things I wanted to point out trailers for on apple tv plus was the greatest beer run ever which i thought looked quite interesting don't know if you've seen it good apple tv film based on a true story about a guy who's having a few beers one night in an american bar and wants to take beers over to oh i'm trying to think where they were fighting a war oh i can't remember now having a moment apologies was it the gulf war or was it earlier than that i can't remember and then the other one was they're doing a film around Sidney potier the actor and some of the great stuff Stuff that he's done in his life, not just the films he was in, but what he achieved for coloured people in America. So two really good films coming out on Apple TV+. Plus. So I haven't seen any advertising for The Greatest Beer Run ever at all, and I'm just looking at this IMDb page now. So it's the Vietnam War, 1967. Vietnam. Vietnam, I couldn't think of Vietnam, sorry. And it's the story of a man leaving New York in 1967 to bring beer to his childhood buddies in the army while they're fighting in Vietnam. So it's directed by Peter Farrelly. So he'll be one of the Farrelly brothers that have done all sorts of comedies of various sorts in the past. Generally pretty funny. I think was something about Mary the Farrelly brothers. I think it was. Yes, I think you're right. Yeah. So that's interesting. And it's ca- the cast is Zac Efron, Russell Crowe, Bill Murray. I'm in. I want to watch it. Looks right, doesn't it? It does look all right. They have me at the cast, frankly. I, I I like all three of them. I used to be a bit sniffy about Zac Efron, but then I watched Baywatch and thought it was incredibly funny. Uh, and he's been in better things. He's been in other things too, obviously. But yeah, Russell Crowe, Bill Murray, two very watchable actors as well. So I, I'd definitely give this one a throw. Yeah, I just thought it looked interesting. I didn't know anything about it. And like you say, it's based on a true story. And I quite like films based on a true story. I find them quite interesting. So it looks good. And the same Sidney Poitier documentary film that's coming thought that also looked very good and will be worth a watch 
and I'm happy to see some films coming and not just more TV series because I find TV series a little too long sometimes. Possibly. What's the Sydney Poitier film called? Sydney. Sydney. I'll have to try and find a link for it for the show notes, but I've popped the greatest beer run ever trailer into the show notes as well too. So I've got a couple of things to talk about because I have had a bit of time to watch some media and play some games. Not as much games as I might like, but that's because I've been watching a load of media. So season finale for All Mankind ran. That was 10 episodes of that. That series has continued to really impress me with what it's done. Well, that cast, that crew, the makeup, the stories, everything about it. Yeah, really, really impressed. Great ending. Sets up the next season really well. And just without giving any spoilers away, the choice of music as they do their 10-year time jumps is just absolutely spot on for what they choose to do. I was really impressed. I need to get on and actually watch this, don't I? You do. It's such a great show. I, I said this before. In many ways, I think it's better than Ted Lasso. And actually... On a slight tangent, I meant to say to you, because Russell Crowe is in the, la- in the Greatest Bear Runner. Russell Crowe was in the last Marvel movie, the Thor movie. I think he plays, he plays as, oh gosh, who's above Odin in the, in the great Norse gods. The All-Father, anyway. But at the end of that, there's a spoiler for the next Marvel film, which is often the case. And they introduce the character of Hercules, who's a superhero. And who they get to play Hercules is Roy Kent, is Brett Goldstein from Ted Lasso. Oh, really? I didn't know that. So, so that's when. When are Marvel going to run out of superheroes? There are a lot of Marvel superheroes. I, I'm getting that. I was, I knew there were a lot, but they've gone a lot further with it than I think I had realised they were going to go. Yeah, well, I mean, the whole Marvel thing is quite interesting for where they started because they tried with their A-listers for years and then sold them off to Sony. You know, so people like Spider-Man and Venom and, and who is, is an anti-hero, but. You know, they sold them to the X-Men with their sort of big ticket properties. So they went for a C-lister in Iron Man to sort of start the Marvel movie franchise. So they've all, they've, they've started to take their, you know, their attention is broader, I think, than might have been typically thought for, for something like that, for their successes. So yeah, interesting. And, you know, we talked about Moon Knight last week, who's definitely not in the top tier of the Marvel, Marvel Cinematic Universe or, in, or even in the comics, but a really interesting character. So I finished Moon Knight. I also finished Miss Marvel, which we talked about last week. Also very, very good, I must say. Bit more of a coming-of-age type thing than I might have expected, but very good and culturally sensitive and and, and well done, Miss Marvel. But this week, Marvel have released She-Hulk, which is starring, I know I can see, uh, for, for those, there, there is no camera on the pair of us, thankfully, but I can see Chris's head beginning ahead for the desk as, a, as yet another Marvel super, superhero. This is very well done, and the thing I like, well, there's two things I like about it. One is that it stars Tatiana Maslany, which if you ever saw Orphan Black, which is a fantastic TV show from BBC America on a sort of a cloning program that had been going on underneath the underneath the surface. She's an amazing actress and she's playing She-Hulk and Jamila Jamila's in it as well, who's also a great actress from The Good Place on Netflix, which you may or may not have seen, which is a funny thing. Uh, first episode, very good, very pro-feminist, quite well done, very funny, lots of nods, more like an Ally McBeal type thing than a superhero movie. So if you watched Ally McBeal in the 90s, it's closer to that than anything I'd say. It's not another TV series, is it? Yep. I just want a film. Can I have some films, please? Well, we just talked about a film. You got the greatest beer run ever, so, you know. Maybe that's why I quite enjoyed Lightyear, because it was just a film. It's an hour and a half of my time, whereas I think I get put off a bit by TV series because their ask of my time is more than I can give it at the moment. Fair enough. Well, uh, let's talk about a documentary next, and then we'll talk about another TV show. So, I just... (laughs) A documentary is kind of a film, right? I thought I'd throw a little recommendation out for a thing on Netflix called Last Breath, which is a true story, and they have all the people involved in it, or most of the people involved in it, 
of a diver, two divers, three divers, working on the, a structure, as they put it, on the North Sea. And the idea is that the ship, the diving support vessel that supports the divers, has some very clever computer-controlled stuff that holds it in place while the divers are down there. Obviously, the divers are tethered to a diving bell, and the system fails, and the ship starts get moving away from where the divers are. And they get dragged with this, and one of the umbilicals snaps on one of the divers. So that's all I'll say, because I get onto spoiler territories after that. But fascinating. It's about an hour and a half long. You can make your own judgments about what happened during it, but just the most amazing story. So that was Last Breath, and then on it with a TV show. But it's an Apple Plus TV show, so is that all right? Apple, Apple Plus is good for me. Apple Plus is good for you. Okay, so it's called Bad Sisters. It's written by Sharon Horgan. I've put a link in the show notes to the Guardian review of it, who thought it was excellent. If you saw Catastrophe on Channel 4 here in the UK a few years back, she's very funny. She's a good writer. She's a good comedian. I'm quite keen to watch this. The first one was released uh, last week, I think. So yeah, that's on my list of things to watch. I feel like I can't keep up with the amount of websites you read, by the way. I just thought, thought I'd mention that because you always get your news from a plethora of websites, which always astounds me. And I can't keep up with the amount of TV you manage to consume in a week. I'm impressed. And then subsequently, the number of games you've managed to play too. Well, so, I, um, I, I would be that impressed. So I've got two more recommendations this week. Well, one's well, not. Well, hang on. What, what's Bad Sisters about? It's a good question. I, I'm, all I know is that it's set in Ireland and it's based on a Norwegian thing called the Clan or something. And it's about a, a death in the family of some sort and them coming together. It's meant to be a very black comedy, which is right, okay. up, right up my street. So I'm, I'm willing to give it a go. Yep, sounds good. Just another TV show I need to slot in. Put it on the list. So here's a movie you can cheerfully skip if you want my recommendation anyway. So I got around to watching The Northman. I don't know if you saw the trailers for The Northman about four months ago when it came out. Nope. Nope. So this is one of the Skarsgårds. So there's Stellan Skarsgård and he's got about three sons, I think. He's got an acting dynasty in the same way that the Hemsworth brothers are an acting dynasty. And this one... Is by a director, I think his name is Robert Ed Egger, set in, well, Viking times. I don't know the exact thing. There's, there's obviously Christianity in there because they talk about that. So I'd say it's like AD, I don't know, 600, something like that. Very medieval. Anyway, cut a long story short. It's like the most stylish, violent art film you've ever seen. <laughs> it's an interesting combo. That's, that's the only way I can describe it. It's... It's one of those films I sit watching and I think, I very much appreciate the artistry of this. Like, there'll be a tracking shot or a particularly well-lit thing or, you know, just, just a movement or, or a particular line within the script. And I sit there going, yes, the, I, I understand what it is that, that they're trying to achieve in this scene. But it left me cold, absolutely cold watching it. I had no emotional attachment to anybody. And there's some great actors in it as well. Willem Dafoe is in it. Uh, Anna Taylor-Joy is in it. One of the Skarsgårds is in it who plays the titular character. Ethan Hawke is in it. It, it. You know, great cast, good director, looks amazing. Very meh story. You missed off Nick. You missed off Nicole Kidman. I did miss off Nicole Kidman. Interesting cast, interesting premise. The shot, the still on Rotten Tomatoes just makes me think of some form of Braveheart. What got me, though, is the Rotten Tomatoes score is 89%, but the audience score is 64%, which is a massive difference, isn't it? Yeah, this is one of those, like, and I'll probably upset an awful lot of people here, like There Will Be Blood or Lost in Translation, which I sit there going, I see what you're trying to do, Mr. Director, Mr. Scriptwriter and Actors but it doesn't work for me. And I know we've got differing opinions on Lost in Translation. Others have differing opinions as well, but it's not for me. 
I think you and I are in the same boat on Lost in Translation. I didn't see it at all. It was slow and boring. Yeah, even though Bill Murray and Scarlett Johansson are in that film, it is just dreadfully dull. On paper, that film should have worked, but it was epically disappointing. And I quite like a drama. I quite like sometimes a slow film, but that didn't do it for me. Okay. Yep. yep. So I'll save you that one. Don't bother with the Northman. And then lastly, I watched the new version of June again, but with my eldest daughter, which was ex- which is interesting because it's really not her kind of thing. But, you know, they're clever, these Hollywood movie moguls. You know, you put Timothy Chalamet in there and you put Zendaya in there and she's interested. I've no idea who those people are. Oh, you're getting old, mate. You got to know who Zendaya is. She's dating Tom Holland. Come on. Also, she's an absolutely excellent actress. If you've seen any of the new Spider-Man films, she's, she's fantastic in those. And June is a remake. Well, it's... It's a re- it's not a remake. June is a version of the Herbert book June from which was written in 1960 something. There are a whole season series of them. There was a go at making a June film in the 80s with Carl McLaughlin and Sting, which isn't thought to be one of the greatest movies of all time. This version of June, which is about twice the length and half the film that the original version of June was, is also it's almost the direct opposite of what I was talking about in the last thing. It is a beautifully done arty movie with excellent characters that draw you along and Anna very, very much enjoyed watching it with me. She said, I'm glad you were there, Dad, because I wouldn't have understood half what was going on if you hadn't been able to explain it to me. Which they do explain in the film, to be fair. But yeah, it was just, it was really good to watch it again. And I think I enjoyed it more second time around than even the first. I do like the Dune franchise. I got attached to it when I was a child because I played Dune 2 and Dune 1 computer games. Dune 1 was a point and click and Dune 2 was very much the forerunner to real-time strategy games. I have seen the 80s film, which some might say doesn't hold up well because <laughs> it is bad. I've seen part of this film, the new 21 film, but I need to go back and finish watching it. I'll probably start again, to be fair, and just really have... I need a night when the family are out and two hours free. But it's Dennis Villeneuve, isn't it? And he... He does some good stuff. So I, I'm looking forward to it. And I'm glad your daughter liked it. Yeah. Arrival was terrific. And his Blade Runner 2049, I don't forget the date quite right, were also, it was a fantastic sequel to the original Blade Runner. So he, he's a bit of an author I can get behind it, even Olive. Yeah, he, he's done some good stuff. He has. So that's that's been my media watching this week. I think I've done all right, yeah? Yeah, you've done a lot more than me because I was on holiday. But normally I fit in some films, but I read quite a bit instead, so... That's, that's, that's probably better for you. Move on to games then. I think we'll be quite quick this week because once again, I've managed to get a little bit of gaming and not as much because I've been watching a lot of films and TV shows, but a little bit. The first one was a game called Fall Guys, which is now free to play on the PlayStation. So you can go and download this. Link in the show notes. If you've got a PlayStation, it's available on PC and Xbox as well. It's probably on Games Pass. Free to play. It's a battle royale game but you're not shooting things. So you all start off, it's a bit of a race. It's a bit like it's a knockout. There's obstacles to get past your little character. All he can do or all all she can do is jump. Uh, You've got 50, I think, or 100 that start. And every round, it is about six rounds. You get reduced and reduced and reduced until you get to the final eight, I think. And then it's it's just uh, who gets to the finish, who wins. Very simple premise. You can buy loot boxes, of course you can, which give you new outfits to run along in. And that's about it. There's no sort of... Enchanced chance of winning just because you spent a bit of money on it, you just get a different hat. Quite good fun. I think younger kids would enjoy it more than me. I kind of wanted a gun and I wanted to shoot people, but I do see the fun in it. It's quite it's quite a good time. Your kids might like it. So when I saw it's called Fall Guys Ultimate Knockout, I was expecting an adult sort of fighty game. And then I click on the link and it's full of very vivid, bright colours, and it was not what I was anticipating at all. 
looks yeah my children would probably quite enjoy something like this i think to be fair i'm surprised you were playing it <laughs> it does look kind of cool it's online play by looks fit only which is something we don't really do a lot of in my house so it's probably something i need to start embracing otherwise my children are going to be behind the curve yeah it's quite good fun i mean I, I don't think it would engage me for very long but i could see how it could get quite competitive quite quickly and one of the reasons i fired it up was i was looking for things to test my tv with and it surprises me how few of the online multiplayer things are PlayStation 5 ready. Most of them are still only PS4 ones. So Warzone, Apex Legends, and this are all PS4. They will run on the PS5, but they're not PS. You know, they, they don't support the high frame rate and, and all the rest of the bits and pieces that you'd expect them to. It does, however, look amazing. Locked at 60 frames per second, never saw a glitch. The colors really pop on the new television. You know, it does look amazing. It almost burn a hole in your eye, actually. It's so bright. So I I, I, I think for, for younger kids, or if you just want to try something a bit different from the usual football, as I think you've been playing as much as anything, then it might not be a bad, a bad shout to, to sort of jump into that and give them a look. Yeah, and just back on your PS4, PS5 comment, if a game isn't PS5, native as i'd call it or you know natively supports it i won't usually buy it because i want something to take take advantage of all the modern hotness unless it's a ps4 game that i've not played and i just want to try it out i may get it if i've heard good things but i really want to see it ps5 only i mean the ps5 is nearly two years old game should there should be more that's native ps5 i think yeah, I, I, I don't disagree. And particularly for these big arena shooters and things like this, where they obviously make a lot of money out of them. Why wouldn't you update them? I guess it's, that's the definition of a cash cow, isn't it? People will download and play them anyway. I suspect Fortnite's probably the same. I think the problem they've got, though, is because the PS5's been on a slow burn releasing and getting hold of the consoles. You know, I guess they've got to support both for longer because the 5's just not got out there. And if companies just supported the 5, they're probably not going to sell as many games, are they? Yep, true. Anyway, there we go. That's that'll. Oh no, that that'll do us for fall, guys. I've got one other little recommendation. I talked about it last week. I got a little notification on my phone on Saturday, I think, to say Jetpack Joyride Two was now available on the Apple Arcade. So I downloaded it. I installed it. I've run it. I've played a few levels. It's great. Have you tried it? Nope. I knew it was coming. Completely forgot about it. Don't often check Apple Arcade. I do maybe every couple of months just to see what's landed. I've been playing Threes and Mini Metro. Usual suspects there. Yeah, I don't know. I'm a bit of a Luddite on my phone, I think. It, it looks right. I, I should give it a go. I'm sure my, my boys will like a go on it, so I'll, I'll recommend they, they put it on their iPads. I, mean, I would say, different from the original Jetpack Joyride, it's not an infinite runner, whereas the last one you just kept going for as long as you could in the same way as, like, oh, what's his name's Odyssey? Altos. Altos. Yeah, Altos Odyssey. This The level length is de defined. You only go so far on them. You've got a progression bar to see how you're doing. There's just bigger, better, more stuff. You know, there's more things to shoot, more things coming across the screen, more obstacles to jump over, more power-ups to get. It's Apple Arcade, so you're not getting nickel and dimed. It's just a bit of a grind to get through it to the end, which is fine. There's probably about 60 levels. I've done about 15 of them so far, on and off. You know, I play for about maybe five minutes a day and then put it down again. It's a bit too much for me, frankly, these days, even though all I'm doing is tapping the screen. It's very bright. It's very colorful. I'm quite impressed. I actually quite like not having an infinite level. The the only thing I've heard about it is, I think it was on a podcast, they suggested that it still felt like it was built for a nickel and diamond mechanic, but didn't have it because it's on Apple Arcade. So it felt like something. And I've seen this on a few Apple Arcade things that have been kind of cross-ported into Apple Arcade and 
have had the like the in-app purchase piece removed or the nickel and diamond removed so it fits the FRK model but it's it still feels like it should be there if that makes sense oh, it totally makes sense and i can totally see it you know they'd obviously intended that this would be something like that and then pulled it back when apple gave them enough money i think i did read something that it had been released before and then you know retracted so maybe this was what they originally had in mind before apple sort of started chucking pounds at them dollars at them so yeah potentially yeah anyway there we go i think that'll do us for gaming unless threes and mini metros been it not much to comment, just threes, mini metros. Or maybe mini motorways too. Oh, wow. Push the boat out. No Slay the Spire, no? Sadly not. I feel i got to mention it every time. Anyway, good stuff. Should we move on to the, a fairly short main show, I think? Yeah, let's do it. So, it was an interesting comment thread on Reddit that sort of really appealed to me. And it was Apple apps that you refuse or will not use. Refuse to use or will not use. And did you have any? So, which made me think about it. And, you know, I know we've both compiled a list you know, to talk about in the show notes here. But I, I thought it'd be interesting just to go through the ones we do actually use and maybe talk on, on, on why we've, we've settled on those ones. So ones both of us agree that we don't use, and I'll, I'll, I'll read them out. We can have a quick comment about each one. But this won't surprise anyone who listens to this podcast. Is Apple Podcasts. Neither of us use it. Yeah, it's never got on with it. I've been on Overcast for so long. It works. I'm happy to pay my eight, nine pounds a year for it. And But the, I think equally with that, the free version is so good. You don't even need to pay for Overcast, so why would you use Apple Podcasts? Yeah, I, in my case, I don't trust it. From a beta way back when, I had it running, and it was using my cellular data rather than my Wi-Fi data, and it actually cost me money, Apple Podcasts. So I've never trusted it since. I can understand that. Yeah, so I, I remove it off the phone or iPad as soon as. Yep. Other than one of us, which one of us? Did you try it when we were asked the listener question for what podcast client? Other than that, I, I have no reason to install it. I did... I tell a lie, I fired it up not long after this podcast started just to see if it was downloading properly and would get the album art and all that kind of stuff. And then I immediately removed it again. Yeah, I think that's what I've done with it as well. I tried it for when the listener asked and then I moved on quickly. Good. Okay. Podcast settled. You don't use Apple Calculator? Nope. I like to use the same app on both. So I'm only using my iPad and my iPhone. I want to use the same apps on both devices for muscle memory and how they work. And so I use the Peacock by James Thompson. I bought it years ago. And this is probably an app that I wouldn't want to see a subscription for, but I'd be happy to pay for an update because I've had it for years and I think I paid about eight quid for it. And I use it on both my iPad and my iPhone. And I always use Peacock. It's in my muscle memory to search for it. Probably if Apple did one that was on the iPad and had been on the iPad for the last 10 years, I'd probably just use that for the calculations I do. But they never have. So I stick with PCALC and if I remove calculate off my... So fairly similar. I use PCALC by James Thompson on my phone and my iPad. I don't use it very often on my Mac because I use Alfred. You know, if all I want is a quick calculation, the chances are I don't need a calculator. So I do command space, I hit equals and I start adding my things up in there. And I can use brackets and I can do all that kind of stuff if it's slightly more complicated. And anything much more complicated than that on the Mac, I'm probably using Python or I'm using Excel you know, or, or, or something like that. So I, I rarely fire up PCALC on the Mac, even though I've got it. Yeah, I don't disagree. I do obviously use Excel for a bit of calculation. That's fair to say. Yeah, yeah. But the convenience of having, and Spotlight does it too, to a certain extent, you know, a calculator that you can quickly type into and edit there. There on the go is, is what I want from a calculator. So I find that mode works better for me. And to that extent, I never used Apple Calculator. Yeah, that's fair enough. Books. What was iBooks? This is interesting. You as an iPad user, me as a Mac user. I don't even know why the app's there. I used to start putting PDFs in. I did use it for a bit of 
PDF cloud storage, like for manuals and, and things. But I use my Kindle. I have a Kindle and I use Kindle and I use Audible. I've got no real desire to move to Apple yet. If they built it into the Apple One scheme, I would probably be there, but it isn't. So that's where I'm at. Fair enough. Fair point. Yeah, particularly as they're going to put advertising in it, as we talked about before. I think uh, there's very little reason to use it because I didn't use it for PDS. I feel like I used iTunes for PDS for a little bit. I think they worked with an iTunes too. And I did do a little bit of that way back when. But yeah, it, I, I, if I'm buying a book, an ebook, I'm probably buying it on Amazon, same as you. I've got Kindles for that. I, I wouldn't, the iPad wouldn't be my first choice when I'm going to read a book. I'm feeling that I'm actually going to have a physical book. So no, not for me. Agreed. Measure, which is probably an app both of us forgotten that we're even on phones and iPads and things like that. Yeah, completely forgot about this one until I went and searched the App Store. So no, not somewhere you use. I'm sure it's great. It probably is inaccurate. So I just it's just not something I need in my life. I was initially quite excited about Measure. If you've never done this on your phone, if you go and look for the Measure app, you can. it's like an uh, augmented reality measuring thing. You can point it at two points on a wall and it will give you a distance between them. And in my previous life as a nurse, I had thought if you had a patient lying in bed and you wanted to know how tall they were, that could potentially be quite useful. But then you've always got a measuring tape by the side of the bed and it's accurate, unlike this app, which wouldn't be. So it's effectively useless. Just a cool tech demo. I used it a couple of times when it came out and I found, I found it to be inaccurate. Well, if it's inaccurate, you don't use it. Simple as. Okay, yeah, measure is gone. Voice memos. I'd never record my voice unless I'm talking to you. I would occasionally use something to record my voice, but I found one called Just Press Record, which actually did the live voice translation at the same time. So as you do your little memo, you'd get the you know the, the text too. And it's the text you want more than anything. So what good is voice memos to me? Never use it. Fair enough. One thing I was impressed at, I listened to another podcast, a Formula One podcast, where you can ask Damon Hill a question. And they actually direct the users. If you want to ask Damon a question, record a voice memo on your iPhone, email it into us, and then they've got the audio for the podcast rather than them reading it out. And I, that's probably the best use I've heard of voice memos. But it was interesting how they directed people to use that app. I don't know what it's called on Android, whether it's got the same name or not. I presume it's probably an Apple patented thing, isn't it? Should we have a look at their apps that are differing between us then? So I've listed for iOS. It might not be fair to go into macOS for, for my list of apps, but the Stocks app. I think I know your answer to this. I don't need to track my stocks in the Stocks app. The the little bit of, of basic, we've talked about this before, basic trading I've done before in the Fair Trade app, I, I, I can track it in there. Yeah, I suspect this is a different answer for you. Yeah, no, it is a different answer. And I work for a, a a PLC, a, so a public limited company here in the UK, and I like to know our share price. And what I do like with the stocks app, and I'm not so much using the stocks app anymore, it's more that I want the widget on my home screen. And so it's got today's share price on it. I would probably not need the stocks app if the free trade app that I use did widgets and things. I don't know why they haven't done widgets yet. They're very good at supporting the iPad and dark mode and various other technologies, but for some reason they don't seem to have embraced widgets. So I think if they embrace widgets on my stock trading app, I would probably do away with it in the stocks app from Apple. Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised there isn't something better, frankly. You know, when you when you look at the, the plethora of apps you can get on your phone and your iPad and the Mac, the stocks app seems to be the default one. That, you, that it's, it's slightly surprising to me. I think a lot of them you have to pay for because you need to pay to get the data 
And do you know what, though? It's interesting working, as I've said before, at PLC, loads of people use the stocks app just to keep an eye on the price. It's just a really easy way of doing it. You can have a widget on your home screen. You can now put, obviously, a widget on your lock screen. So that's why it gets used a lot where in, in my sort of circle. Yeah. Having said, I mean, I understand why it's still a thing. It's it's completely useless to me. Let's look at one on your list. Apple Calendar. Yeah, I don't use it. I don't have a personal calendar at all. I just have a work calendar. We only allow people to use Outlook at my place of work. So I can't even use the Apple apps, even if I wanted. If we didn't have that limitation, I would probably be tempted to use Calendar and Mail, but it's limited, so I don't use it. So... Mine's a complicated answer in the sense that I primarily use Outlook for my work calendar. I do have a personal calendar, but it's shared amongst the family. So we have a shared family calendar so I can see. For example, this weekend, it was obvious that my youngest daughter was going off to a festival. So it goes in there. I don't put that in my work calendar. I want to maintain a little bit of separation. So it's effectively just a family calendar. But occasionally, we can use Apple's calendars for the work thing. But what I find is that it's slow to sync. It's a bit unreliable and clunky and just not worth the effort to maintain. So I just use it entirely for the family calendar, and it's adequate. I wouldn't say it's a great calendar app. I don't think Outlook is a particularly great calendar app, actually. There's a free one, not a free one, there's a paid-for one that went subscription-only that I used to really, really like, and I'll try and remember what it is so I can put it in the show notes. Fantastical. Fantastical, that I actually paid for for a while, which was a terrific calendar app that integrated with Apple's calendar app and then became its own thing that was wonderful for scheduling meetings, for doing all sorts of things. It would offer alternative times. It was sort of very proactive. And that stopped working with our exchange server and work. And at that point, uh, Apple Mail and its integration became useless to me other than for the family thing. So it's a bit of a shame. Calendar was good. iCal as it was back in the day. But it's it'll be the next thing to be deleted off, I think, you know, once the family goes its own way and I don't need to know what everybody's doing all the time. So... Yeah, so I'm probably just getting to the period where I'm going to need a calendar for my family life. At the moment, I just rely on my wife to tell me what I've got to do when I knock off work. But I can see me going that way. I probably would use the Apple apps if we were to board it, or I'd probably at least have a go. But we're locked down to just Outlook, so I'll just live with that. Yeah, you should share it with the guy that's made you locked down to that. It might be me. That, that's, why, that's why I said it. Moving back to mine, I've got Apple Weather on my phone. I know there's still not a weather app for the iPad. We've talked about that before, but... The only way, I, I actually have two weather apps installed. I use Carrot and I use Dark Sky. And Dark Sky is actually owned by Apple these days, to the best of my knowledge. You still use the Apple weather app? I didn't. I did go to Carrot Weather, but the widget stopped working for a while. And then with iOS 16 and iPadOS, I thought I'd just use the weather app. And actually, whilst I was away with my wife, I think she was using the BBC one, my weather seemed more accurate than hers with various rain and sun that we were having over the last week or so. And we did have quite varying... A, weather, and B, our apps told very different stories and mine felt like it was more accurate. I don't check the weather a huge amount because normally, you know, if I'm at work, I'm at work. We used it quite a lot last week to go to the beach and, and plan the holiday with the children. I think it's fine. I think the bit of the built-in one seems okay. I quite like carrot weather. I liked how it worked. But when the widget stopped working and I didn't really want to pay for it, again, it was a subscription I didn't want to have. I'd happily pay them up front for a year or something, maybe I'd rather pay two years in advance, I think. But I'll try the Apple one. It seems good. And you get the good widgets. Yeah. I, I, there's quite an odd thing with the Apple one that it, it seems to have tracked my location over the years. So occasionally it decides I'm back in Florence or I'm, you know, I'm in, or in Mexico or something, which I find just peculiar. It should know where I am apart from anything else. So, and, and I don't find it to be terribly accurate, even though it now uses Dark Sky as a back end. I quite I like the animations in it, but... I don't use it. I, you know, I fire up Carrot, I fire up Dark Sky, and you know, it's it's 
it just doesn't feel quite right to me, so I I don't use it. I guess I'm also using it just because you can play with it in iOS 16 to have widgets on the home screen. It's yeah. kind of cool. And just to say, I don't think I've ever paid any subscription money to Carrot, and it gives me a basic weather forecast, you know, as as much as I want. Yeah, it used to be fine, but all of a sudden the widgets just stopped working. I don't know why. If you're very widget reliant, then that's fair enough. Or you, you have written Compass. <laughs> it's just an app I don't use. It's on my iPhone. I don't even know if it's installed. I'm going to search now. Oh, yeah, I, it is installed. There you go, I've opened it up. It's not only a compass, it's also a level, mind. You know, if you swipe across to the other screen, it will give you a level. I'm aware. I just don't need it. I don't use it. So I would I would have said no, but I did actually use the compass the other day. I was trying to work out if I could get solar panels for my house and which way the roof was facing. So I did actually work, try and work out which way was north so I could work out which way, you know, if I could. So it was useful for that, but that's the only time I've fired it up in about three years. Then you just open up Apple Maps and look, look in there because it's got the compass in there. Uh, it wouldn't occur to me I'd look at the compass because I know there's a compass app. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. <laughs> but genuinely, that's the only time I've used it in, in three years or something like that. It's it's not much. For, and in fact, as I'm talking, I've actually got a compass on my watch, haven't I? This version of the Apple Watch has got a built-in compass. I've never used that. I could have used that. There you go. I, I think I've got it on my watch too. Like you, though, I've just been looking at solar panels too. And that's been quite interesting going through that process. We should maybe do a thing on home energy and car charges at some point. Yeah, we probably should. Okay, back over to me, the Files app. I never, ever use the Files app on my phone. Well, again, I've put it down for iOS and iPadOS. I barely use it on my phone. I do use it on my iPad when stuff goes into my downloads folder from Safari. And I want to move it into OneDrive. It always amazes me how the Files app works with OneDrive and you you know, it's just there as a cloud provider and you can move files into it and open files. It does work quite well. I do use the OneDrive app as well, but the Files app integration with OneDrive is impressive. Well, maybe I should try it. Um, I, 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 I don't use my phone to download stuff. You know, I've got I've got a computer I use to download stuff. In your mode, I understand that you've got the iPad, you kind of need that integration. I, I'd say I'd op- I used to use the Files app a lot more before I got more into using one password for a lot of my sort of critical document storage for things like passports and things like that. I would store them with an encryption in there. So I, once upon a time, but not since. So maybe I, what I need to do is check out the OneDrive files integration because I do use OneDrive an awful lot for work. Yeah, I think it's quite good. Like I say, I use it on my iPad for work and you've got to remember i don't use a mac or windows device so the only way i'm going to do stuff is generally on my ipad which is the device i use 90 percent of the day fair enough next for you magnifier well, well hang on just before we move on to that files briefly yeah when are they going to call finder files or when are they going to call files finder I think Finder has too long and storied a past. It's a better, it's a better named app. I, you always go at the Finder. You don't go at the Files. Files too generic. I, th- I think they should have called Files Finder on the iOS because they've just made a differentiation and they've spent years trying to, you know, get rid of iCal and call it Calendar. And we've just done system preferences on the Mac OS to system settings now. And I just don't get why they introduced another difference when they've been slowly trying to just harmonize them. And I do think harmonizing them is right. Then certainly the naming convention, because it's a lot easier to, when you're trying to guide somebody through it and explain things. But I don't know, it just dawned on me, why don't they do Finder? And Finder would be a great name for the Files app. No disagreement at all. I, I think they should call the Files app Finder. Yep, totally. Agreed. Sorry, should we move on to magnifier? I don't use the magnifier. I should have declared this as well. I don't use the magnifier either. 
Okay, moving on. Anyway, moving on. Yeah, I, I, if you didn't know it was a thing, you can use you can use to magnify you can use the camera on your phone to magnify things, and and that's that. Next on your list, photo booth. Yeah, I forgot this is on the iPad. Yeah, there's the photo booth app, and you can download it and install it. And it, I think it comes built into iPad. God knows what it looks like now. It was a bit of fun on the iPad too when it debuted because it came out of the Mac originally, and it did work like a photo booth in that your photos, if you remember, on Mac or OS 10 as it was at the time, would drop down, and that and they did. They, it was very skeuomorphic. Um, I remember playing with it on the iPad too when it, like I said, when it first came out, first iPad with cameras. Never used it since. I, I should have had this on here. I didn't even know Photo Booth was still a thing. It wouldn't occur to me. I didn't look on an iPad, I think, because I was looking through my phone, not my iPad. I remember Photo Booth when it came to the Mac being a massive deal, that it was quite funny. You could use it for five minutes. Whenever you'd go into an Apple store, you'd find people sitting playing with the Photo Booth app. I mean, it was a real bring people to the Mac kind of moment when they had webcams before most other things. Really? It's still on the iPad? <laughs> yeah, it's still on the iPad. So I, but I think the way we've come to these lists is quite interesting. You've obviously got a list about macOS, which we'll talk about in a minute. I've obviously focused mine more around my iPad because that's what I use all day. So it's, it's quite interesting how we've come up with that. I don't really use my phone like that. So it, it is interesting how we've, our two different use cases are just coming up with a list of apps that we do or don't use. Yeah, I, I think let's do your last one and then we'll go to mine because it's something we'll, we'll probably spend a little bit more time talking about. So you've said tips. I hate the tips app. It's awful. <laughs> it was never great. I like the the premise of it. I always thought it aimed more at my father-in-law or my parents to use. And I wonder whether they've ever used it. But it's just an app I don't like it. So I use the tips app very quickly on first install of a new operating system. And I flick through it as rapidly as possible to see in case there's something I didn't know about. I've yet to find something I didn't know about. But I'm with you. It should be better for something like an iPad. I, to teach somebody a little bit more about the multitasking gestures or something like that. There's such a demand. There's so many hidden things on iPad about swipe overs and dual screening things and all that. Kind of, and I don't think they do a good job of explaining it. So uh, it's a damn shame that it's not treated with more respect. Do they do tips on the Mac as well? Because you talk about hiding things and they are starting to hide things on the Mac. And I don't know if it's on there. No, I don't think there's a tips app on the Mac. No. But the way I, when a new OS comes out, if I think, have I missed anything? I just go to the web page and have a look through all the new features they list because that's normally a bit more in-depth. Yeah, you're not wrong. Okay, cuts. It's a good one. I flirt with it every now and again, and I think I'm the iPad power user. I should do more with shortcuts, and I struggle to find something that does stuff for me. But I think that's because I was more of a procedural programmer when we were at uni, and the way shortcuts work, I just don't think my mind is made for it. You know, I've got to unlearn how I would go around automating something. Yeah, this was one I thought you would be into as the iPad power user. Because again, we've mentioned Vitici once in this podcast already. He has multi-hundred, if not thousand-line item shortcuts built up to do various things to make an iPad work a little bit more like a Mac, as far as I'm concerned, when I hear about the shortcuts. But they seem so detailed and so convoluted to do Maybe slightly repetitive, but it all seems so unnecessary to me. And I've yet to find a shortcut that I've looked at and thought, I really need that in my life. You know, when you go and look at the shortcut gallery, it's things like, find me the nearest ATM. Well, I just go to the Maps app and I type ATM. And that's that's two clicks on the keyboard. I don't need a shortcut for that. Or go and download the desktop of the day, for the background of the day from NASA or something. And again, I don't need that. I don't change my background often enough. I don't care about the background changing to represent something, you know, whatever the Hubble's taken that day. So I, I just find the whole thing quite mystifying in terms of automation. 
Yeah, and that I, maybe we're both lucky in that we don't have repetitive jobs. Well, I say I do have a repetitive job. I go on a lot of team calls and I send a lot of email, but I can't automate any of that. So I, I don't know. I just haven't really found much that it does for me. And like we talked the other week, I think about home automation. I've got no need for my lights to come on when I walk in or out of my shed or the blinds because I'd rather have the manual control over it. I like to do it from my phone. I don't need it automated. So I just haven't found anything, a need for it. But I do go in every now and again and think, I'm a developer. I use an iPad all the time. I should do more with shortcuts. So I do just go and flirt with it every now and again. Yeah, similar. I, I kind of want it to be, I want to see the shining moment for shortcuts that it's going to do something I needed to do and I've, I've yet to find it. But I hold on the hope. So, you know, I, I, it's in my list as apps I, I don't use, but maybe it's one that should be I'd like to use if I can see the point of it. And, you know, sort of very briefly, and I suppose I should finish the thought of, it's a Mac thing, but if I have got something I need to automate, I'll probably do it in Python and I'll write a script. So, you know, that, because, you know, you and I are programmers or were programmers once upon a time. That's kind of the way my brain works and it, that's what I do. I, you know, I, I write a little computer program to do it and it might leverage a library or something, but I can't think in the way shortcuts works. Maybe it's a deficiency in me. I think we're demonstrating our age here. Maybe the youth of today, like your children or mine, will get their head around it without any problems. Well, neither of my kids would ever, I don't think they've ever opened the Shortcuts app. I should maybe poll them next week. That should be my homework. Have you looked at the Shortcuts <laughs> app? What What would you use it for? I'm not sure mine have got it on their iPads. I've got them down quite a lot at the moment. But, um, yeah, ask them. Is there anything they want to automate in life? I will. I'll just add it to the show notes now. So just finishing off then, I think that's it for your list and my iOS list. Have we missed anything? No, I think we got them all. No, I think that's it. I'll quickly go through my macOS list. So <laughs> Automator on the Mac. I was going to say I should just written macOS for mine because I just don't use it. Yeah, you thing. don't use macOS. That would have been good. You should have done that. So Automator is the precursor of shortcuts. It was like the more programmatic. programmatic. You could use Apple Script to do things. I did used to have a couple of Automator scripts to do things like, here's a PDF with 30 pages in it, split it all into individual pages and things like that. I had done a bit of that. But again, I've with my evolution, I've moved that to a Python script now because it will run on Windows or Mac or Linux or Unix or you know, whatever else I want because it's cross-platform for the things I wanted to do. And Frankly, Apple have de deprecated Automator. You shouldn't be using it anymore anyway. Well, I was about to say, is Automator still in latest OS? I think it's still in Ventura, but I think when they fired Sal Sagoyan, who was the Automator guy from what it must be five years ago now, the writing was on the wall for Automator then. Yeah, I agree. Yep. And the idea with shortcuts on the Mac, which I don't use either for the reasons we've just been through, is that they're a little bit cross-platform. You could write one on the Mac and it would run, but it's not like for like at all, as far as I'm aware. You can do things like embed JavaScript in the Mac one, I think, to do bits and pieces, which may run on the iPad, but I suspect that the depth of control isn't there on the iPad version. I think they're getting there, aren't they? They're slowly, I think they are doing a good job of bringing everything slowly together so that you should be able to have more uniformity across the OSs. But it's, yeah. we're, we're, we're on a journey. Yeah, and neither of us are automation people, clearly. I don't play chess anymore. I think I played a couple of games back when I first got my Macs back in the day, but it's still there. It's still in the applications folder. And you could talk to it. I always remember you used to get the silver sort of orb pop-up thing, if I remember correctly. I play chess against my son with actual pieces from time to time, and that's about it. That's far better. Mission Control, the most pointless app that has ever been on a Mac, which is the, it installs itself as a widget in your dock. You click on it and it just shows all the apps that are available to launch. Who uses that? No, my wife uses it. Her window management is horrific though, to be fair. 
yeah, I'm afraid for me, it's Alfred or it's already running in the dock. You know? Right, okay. Yeah, so yeah, I'm with you. I don't need it. I don't understand it. I don't want it. Apple Photos. I don't I don't manage my photos in Apple Photos. I never even launch Apple Photos. I, lo I use it on the phone because that's where photos go when I take a picture. But I have no reason ever to launch Apple Photos on my Mac. So <clears throat> you take photos on your phone. They go into the iCloud photo library. And you never use photos on your Mac? Never. Not... Does it download them to back them up or anything, or do don't, you care? Don't know. Never launched it. Don't care. So I, I I run Google Photos as well on my phone, and it backs them up into Google Photos, and I'll go into Google Photos and I'll, I'll manage them there. But I know they're all in iCloud. I just have no desire to open up because in the back of my head there is this worry: is it going to download my however many multi you know tens of thousand photo library on my Mac? I don't want it to do that. You can turn that off. There is a setting. It's been there since day one. Yeah, but I don't use photos, so I don't know these things. Okay. Even I, even I know that. The only reason I have my Mac really is to run photos, to download my library, to back up onto my Synology. <laughs> and that's all my Mac's sat there for. But I'm not even sure I need it. I've never had a problem with iCloud Photo Library. Uh, that's it, exactly. Is the photos, I know they're there. I can go and search for all them in iCloud Photo Library. And they're backed up into Google Photos at slightly less resolution. But unlike John Syracuse, I don't care. I just want to know that the picture's there. I don't need to know that it's raw at 15 megabytes with this version of the edits on it. Because I take so many photos, I don't need to edit them. You know, they're there. If, if, it's, if it's not a good photo, I'll delete it. End. I edit a few, and I do upload them to Glass. Ones I've taken on my big camera, but I don't do that much with it. And we have so many photos. If you lost one, would you even know? This is it, exactly. I think I, I, I should probably take more care of my photos, but they're there. When I, when I search for, you know, May 19, you know, May 2005, I can find that photo in Google Photos or in Apple Photos. And the machine learning stuff around it is so good these days. I can go, you know, show me all the pictures of Anna and it will show me all of them going back to that point because it does the facial thing. Even the dog these days, you know, I can find pictures of the dog from, you know, three years ago. You know, show me Mally from this year and, and, and it finds them. So I don't need to curate photos in the way that I once did. And I used to be very careful back in the iPhoto days. I'd, I'd be in there, I'd be marking them, I'd be applying edits, I'd be making them look a bit lighter, a bit darker, but a combination of better software on the phone, better cameras, meaning you don't need to mess around with them quite so much. And just, I think, a general lack of care because of this metadata stuff that gets populated automatically for me means I really don't care anymore. So I don't launch it on my Mac. Yeah, no, I, I kind of understand, like I said, I only do it just to back them up. I do do the edits a little bit, but only on a, like I say, photos of taking my big camera. Generally, the ones on my iPhone, I just use that whatever the iPhone spits out. Yep, yep. Fair. Shortcuts we've talked about. Apple stickies. Do you remember your Apple stickies back in the day? I do. I forgot that's still a thing. I'm amazed that's not come or gone or been updated. Is it still really skinny title bars and yeah, stuff? Yeah, really skinny title bars. You can leave them cluttering up all your uh, your desktop if you want to, to stick your passwords virtually on them if that's what you chose to do or whatever people did with stickies. I never really used them. I think I might have way, way back in the day on Mac OS 8.5, my first version of Mac. When it was, when it was cool, I might have had one or two stickies but that's really the last time I used them. Wow. Yeah, Th things they should get rid of. O on a note, I haven't put on the, this list, but I did have a quick look in my utilities folder. Uh, uh, whoa, 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 hang on. You, we just talked about stickies, and then you've then gone on a note. Like, come on, that's yeah. a good dad joke. Thank you, thank you. It's all they, they need to bring stickies to the iPad, surely. Surely, it needs to be all over your screen. If it's that big an app, that important, it should be there. But on that note, the utilities folder still has graphing calculator in it. On the mic. Oh, I'd forgotten about that. <laughs> Who uses that? I don't know. <laughs>
It's been there forever, though, isn't it? It must have gone through a few different coats of paint. I don't know that it has. I never used it. I think I, I found an equation to put in it to show a sine wave once, and I was like, yep, it works, and then I shut it and never went into it again. It always looked cool, didn't it? It did. Last two, text edit. I don't want a text edit, Apple. Thank you very much. I want to install a text editor like BB edit that's useful to me. The only time I ever used text edit was just if I was doing something in plain text. I just wanted something in plain text. But even then, it's not plain text because it defaults to RTF. You get rich text. Oh, does it? Yeah. Okay. And that's a problem. I, you know, sometimes Windows Notepad is plain text. You know, BB Edit, when you want it to be, is plain text. I don't want, sometimes I don't want any styling on my text at all. I want to look at it in a particular way. So the text edit is effectively useless to me. Yeah. I'm amazed I've never bought any of the, this and like preview over to the iPad, but. You know, you can get good text. I mean, Sublime Text, oh gosh, the Visual Studio Code, all these things are far better text editors. And even we've talked about things like Obsidian in the past, which is a Markdown text editor. I'm trying to use Notion, which is another text editor, a little bit on my Mac, and you can get it on the iPad as well. It does Markdown. It does all sorts of things, actually. It's one of these apps. It's a bit of everything. It does a bit of project management stuff and Kanban boards and stuff too. And I'm trying to mess around with it a little bit, but it's not really sticking with me. But text edit isn't a thing I need. Fair and last but not least is the TV app. I don't need it on my Mac, thank you very much. I've got TVs with the TV app on. Why, why do I have to have the TV app on my Mac? I was a bit surprised in this one because I do use the TV app on my iPad because sometimes when I'm working, I just put something on in a little window, just have it have it floating. Like today, I watched a little bit of Dragon's Den whilst I was making a document. Just have something on in the background. And I got to it through the TV app because that's where I watch everything even though it's iPlayer, if that makes sense. But because it's got my history in it, I launched the TV app, which then kicks me out like it does on TVOS. So I think we've struck the difference why I've managed to watch media and you haven't. When I watch something, I want to sit and watch it. I don't want it as a distraction off to the side in the background while I'm working on something else. I want to pay attention to it. Yeah, so if I'm working, I just put something on like a TV show that I don't need to focus on, if, if that makes sense. I'm just interested in Whereas if I'm going to go and watch something, I'll put it on the big TV and watch it properly. So, for example, the YouTube link I sent you last week to the pitch, the pitch meeting guy on Amazon. Did you watch that in the background while you were doing something else or did you give it all your attention? No, I watched the Lightyear one whilst I was packing my suitcase to go on holiday. Did you find him funny? Yeah, it was good. It, it was quite funny how they did the Lightyear, how they explained the storyline and all the plot holes. Yeah, it's, it's quite good. Isn't it? It's super easy, barely an inconvenience to watch him. So, yeah, it's good. Brilliant. I think we can call that a show, Chris. Yeah, no, it was good. I enjoyed that. It's quite interesting going through our apps. Yeah, I liked it. We should we should try and do that like every so often. I think the, what apps are you using now, what apps aren't you using, and just see how that goes. Because I think it's it is interesting seeing what we're you know considering the platforms are mostly similar. How sort of our, our usage of them is different. So it's a, it's a good it's a good exercise. Yeah, I'm on board with that. Brilliant. Okay, talk to you. Oh, before we go. Before we go, if anybody wants to get in contact, do drop us an email at wakefromsleep at protonmail.com or reach out on Twitter at WFS underscore podcast. Fantastic. Talk to you next week, Chris. Cheers, Rob. See you next week.